Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the guilt complex as we pick up in Genesis chapter 42, verse 19. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. They say that neurotic behavior patterns are often subconscious desires are created by subconscious desires for punishment. I know I have done wrong. I have this sense of guilt. I desire to be punished. I'm too big. My dad isn't around anymore to take me into the other room and to relieve me of my guilt complex. And so I start some weird little behavioral pattern, an antisocial kind of a behavior pattern, where people start saying, what's the matter with him? Man, he's crude. And, and I hear them saying these things, and I think, ah, oh, yes, I'm being punished now, you know. And, and it gives me a sense of relief from guilt. Guilt will out in neurotic behavior or somewhere or other. Guilt is going out. 21 years they carried the guilt of what they had done to Joseph. And now when they are really in trouble, what do they think about? When they're really in a tight place, what do they think about? We did wrong to our brother. We didn't listen to him when he was begging with us and asking us and pleading with us to you know, to not sell him and all. Oh, we did wrong. Now, Joseph can understand what they're saying. They don't know that he can, but he understands everything they're saying, and and he's probably learning a lot about the whole conspiracy. As Reuben says, yeah, didn't I tell you not to hurt the kid, and and you wouldn't listen to me and all? I told you don't lay your hand on him. And, And thus he realizes, hey, Reuben was standing up for me. And perhaps Reuben was looking at Simeon when he said it. Somehow or other, Joseph got the idea, and of course he was there when the thing happened too, and he could hear them talking above the pit when he was down inside. And and no doubt Simeon was sort of the henchman in the whole thing. Now, Simeon was cruel. He was hot-tempered and cruel. Later on, as Jacob was giving the patriarchal kind of prophecies over his son, he said to Simeon, Cursed be thy cruelty. So Joseph chose Simeon to stay in jail while the brothers took the corn um, back to their father. Now, Joseph, of course, was concerned with his father's welfare and the family welfare. He knew that the famine was going on, and he didn't want them to run out of food, and so... After the three days of letting them all sit in jail, he called them out and he said, I'll just keep one of you as hostage. The rest of you go on back and take the supplies back for your families and all, but don't bother to come again unless you bring your youngest brother. They didn't know, verse 23, that Joseph could understand them, for he spoken to them through an interpreter. And so he turned himself about from them and cried. 
Actually, he couldn't take it. He heard them talking, saying, oh, you should have listened to me. Oh, don't you remember the way he was begging and all, and, and talking about Joseph and realized that they were now really repenting for what they had done to him. I believe that this whole thing of Joseph's was a design to really test his brothers to find out where they really were after this length of time. Joseph knew that the purposes of God were to be accomplished through these boys. That God's providential plan was all wrapped up in this family. Jacob had no doubt shared with Joseph many times the visions that he had had and the dreams that he had and God speaking with him and telling him the destiny of the family that the nation was going to come forth from them and the various tribes from each of the brothers and knowing God's destiny was involved with these boys. He was wondering, are they now ready for God to work in them and, and really just sort of putting them to the test. And, and here's the first sign that things have changed. There's a repentance here. We did wrong, a confession of their sin. No longer an attempt to justify it. The Bible says, He who seeks to cover his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth his sin shall be safe. We many times make a mistake in trying to justify or cover our guilt. It's not until we come to the confession that we can really get rid of it. As we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so here is a confession of sin. Here is a repentance of sin. There are good signs. Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with wheat and to restore every man's money into his sack and to give them provision for their ways. And thus he did unto them. And as they laid it down their asses with the wheat, they departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give provender to his donkey in the end, he spied his money, for behold, it was in the sack's mouth. And he said to his brothers, My money is here in the sack. And their hearts failed them, for they were afraid, saying one to another, what is this that God has done unto us? I imagine that Joseph had a sense of humor, too. And, and he just knew, you know, what this was going to do to them when they, they open their sacks and, and find their money that is there. And so they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan. And they told him all of the things that had happened, saying, the man who is the Lord of the land spoke roughly to us, and he took us as spies. But we told him that we were just true men. We weren't spies, that we were 12 brothers, sons of our father, and one was not, and the youngest was still with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man, the Lord of the country, said unto us, Hereby shall I know that you are true men, Leave one of your brethren here. And you take the food for the famine for your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother unto me, and then I will know that you are not spies, but that you are true men. 
And so will I deliver your brother, and ye shall be able to come and go in the land. And it came to pass, as they emptied their sacks, that, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. Jacob figured that the boys had ripped them off and was really shook now over this whole affair. And so at this point, Jacob, their father, said unto them, Me have you bereaved of my children. I wonder if Jacob began to suspicion something concerning Joseph by this point, for he is accusing them of bereaving him of his children. Joseph is not, Simeon is not, and ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. Jacob allowed fear to come in his heart because he was looking at the outward circumstances. He saw the money in the boy's sacks. He heard their story of the roughness of the Lord of Egypt. He heard the demand made by the Lord of Egypt. And because of fear taking over, he despaired. Fear usually leads to despair. And when you despair, you often do foolish things. First of all, he lashed out against his own sons. When a person has come to a point of despair, quite often he'll lash out at his own friends. It's hard to go to comfort a person who has come to the point of despair because a lot of times they get to the place they don't even want to be comforted. And if you go to say some kind words, they'll just snap at you. And they'll just, you know, come right back at you because in despair you do foolish things. Because of his despair, he exaggerated his situation. And it is interesting that when we become filled with despair or fear, fear has a way of exaggerating a situation. When we were first pastoring, well, it was our second church, we were pastoring in Tucson, and we were hardly more than kids. I was in my early 20s. And we were having a meeting with our youth leaders where we were going to lay out our plans for our youth program because this is what we had been taught to do. And so we had a couple of girls that were twins, that were real rowdies. They were spoiled, and they had been used to sort of running things. And so they sort of got a conspiracy of, you know, and time for the meeting to start, and they, just before the meeting should start, took off and went up to the drugstore to buy some chewing gum because they were always popping gum. And so I figured, all right, young ladies, I'm not going to just sit here and wait for you to get back. I'm going to teach you when 7.30 comes, and we've called the meeting for 7.30. We want to start at 7.30. So I called one of the fellows that was there, and I says, let's go up to the drugstore. And just 
about a half a block from the drugstore, there was one of these, in Tucson they have these rain runoff areas, they're called uh, washes, and the wash came under the road, and there was a corrugated pipe that uh, ran under the road, and so we went and hid in this wash. <laughs> and as the girls got to the wash, I said, grab them. <laughs> and I took a big boulder and I rolled it down this corrugated pipe underneath the road and it rumbled, you know, and these girls screamed and took off across the street running and screaming. Well, the other fellow and I headed back to the church real quick and we just sat down in the room like we were waiting for them. <laughs> and pretty soon a police car came up and let the girls out. And they came in and told us their story. How that at least 15 guys <laughs> tried to grab them. And they went on with their wild story, you know. But their fear magnified the whole thing tremendously. It's amazing how fear can exaggerate a situation. And so Jacob's account was an exaggerated account, as fear so often exaggerates the problem. All things are against me. Oh, that isn't so. It just looked like all things were against him. But we should never measure the problem by that which we can see. That was his mistake. Paul said we don't look at those things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. Jacob, that isn't true. All things are not against you. In fact, Jacob, if you only knew the whole truth, instead of crying out in despair and fear, you would be rejoicing and jumping up and down if you only knew the whole story. Despair so often comes from just half of the truth, just that which I can see, and not taking God into account. It's when I take God into account that I begin to endure and have that staying quality, and fear begins to subside when I consider God is on the throne. God is still working. God hasn't abandoned me. And then I can have confidence. But the cry, all things are against me, was a false cry based upon fragmentary knowledge. The Bible tells us that all things are not against us. The Bible tells us that all things are working together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things, what do all things include? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Famine, persecution, nakedness, peril, sword? Nay, in all these things. These things may include famine. They may include nakedness. They may include peril. They may include sword. But if I have to endure these kind of afflictions, 
Whatever comes, it's working together for good because I love God and they cannot separate me from the love of God. For in all these things I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. For I am persuaded that neither depth nor height nor principalities, nor angels, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any other creature is able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Do you have that kind of confidence in God's love tonight? If you do, you are a happy, peaceful man. I am so persuaded of God's love. I am so persuaded of God's plan. I'm so persuaded of God's overruling providential care of my life that I do not fear of what might happen to me or anything else. Because whatever comes, it can only come to me as God allows it to come. And God loves me, and he will only allow those things to come that can work out to my good. He won't allow anything that would come that would destroy me. Only those things that will work out for my good will God allow to come to me. I have that kind of confidence in God, and thus I am persuaded that in all of these things I can be more than a conqueror because God loves me. And if you have that kind of confidence in God's love, you can go through the darkest night, and it's light about you because of his love and that confidence that he gives. So Jacob's cry was a false cry. It was a cry that was based upon fragmentary knowledge. All things are against me. That isn't true. Jacob, if you only knew the whole truth, instead of crying out in despair, you would be rejoicing in victory. How many times do we cry out in despair and moan and complain unto God when God says, oh, if you only knew what I was doing. Wait, let me finish the story. Let me finish the chapter. The end comes out good. It's just a beautiful mystery. But wait until the whole thing unravels. And you're going to be so excited over the good plan that I have. But oh, think of the hassle God has to go through to get us there. I don't think you love me anymore, God. I don't know about it. I'm going to serve you or not. You know, if you're going to do this to me, I don't know. I think maybe you'll just I'll quit and all this. And God has got to go through all the guff and mouthing off and hassle that we give to him as he's trying to do something good for us. Sometimes I feel sorry for God. <laughs> the things he has to endure in order to show his goodness to us. All of the accusations and all that we, we cast upon him. And all the while, in his mind, he is thinking good, and he sees the good fruit and the good result is going to come. Here's Jacob. All things are against me and complaining. And he doesn't know. He doesn't know the whole story. And so Reuben spoken to his father, and he said, Kill my two sons if I don't bring him not to thee. In other words, you know, Benjamin is not going to go down. I won't let him go. He said, hey, kill my two sons if I don't bring him back. Now, what good would that do? That's sort of a stupid thing to say. But Reuben was unstable as water. He, 
Just didn't have very much smarts anyhow. And so he makes this kind of a rash thing, a statement. What comfort would that be to a grandfather to t kill his two grandkids? <laughs> you know, it, it just, you want to say something. <laughs> but that's the danger of saying something when just for the sake of saying something. Better that you have something to say. Slay my two sons if I bring him not to thee. Deliver him into my hand, and I will bring him to you again. And Jacob said, My son shall not go down with you. For his brother is dead, he's left alone, and if mischief would befall him by the way in the which you go, then you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. So that was it. But time went on. The famine continued, and they used up all of the grain that they had purchased in Egypt. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse -verse Bible study in the book of Genesis on our next broadcast, as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Genesis 42 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless and guide your life. When those decisions have to be made, may the Lord give you a very strong impression to lead you into His path of righteousness. And may you experience God's power working in your life in a very special way. May the love of Christ just fill your heart and overflow that lives around you might be touched because of what the Lord has done for you. May you be his witnesses, a testimony to others by the love of Christ that shines forth from you. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. 
Have you ever thought about this simple phrase, God loves you? This just might be the most important truth you could ever grasp, that God has called you into a loving relationship with himself. Unfortunately, many of us have been brought up to think that we need to earn God's love. In Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything, Pastor Chuck imparts years of wisdom from his own experiences, how he thought he had to work hard and deny his own desires for God to love him. But when he unlocked the secret to God's grace, this changed everything. Come alongside Pastor Chuck to discover an astonishing truth about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That it's not based upon your works, but based upon God's love for you. It's true. Grace changes everything. To find out more and to read a preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673.